everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Writer's Haven. I'm your host, Musu of Musu Writes, and I hope everyone is staying safe. Um, the plan was to give or to do an episode dedicated to, you know, everything that's going on right now. I'm still debating on whether or not I actually want to do it because I don't want to add to any, um, you know, nervousness or anxiety that may be out there. You know, I just want to keep things moving type of thing, and if this show serves as a way of healthy distraction from everything that's going on, then, you know, that's an awesome thing to know. So I'm just going to get right into it. Um, Today's guest is Bob Fishbach out of Atlanta, Georgia, and he is sharing a very personal story with the world. He recently completed a memoir, Faithful As She Fades, a memoir of love and dementia, and he gets very personal about his experience out of being a caregiver for his now uh, deceased wife uh, who passed away from Alzheimer's. And uh, not only do do I get to learn a lot about Alzheimer's, the different types um, in today's episode talking with Bob, but just to hear about the experience of seeing someone that you've been with for about 50 years of your life, you've raised children with them, um, to see them slowly fade away, you know, to their to their demise can be a very painful thing and any loss you know any type of grief is something that we have to learn how to manage you know as we continue to live our lives so I think it was very brave of of Bob to take the step that he did because not only does he talk about losing his wife to this disease he talks about taking care of himself looking out for himself and a lot of the times as a caregiver you know that's very easy to forget to uh, to do. So he talks about dating, starting over. Um, and we even talk a little bit about B Smith. I spoke about her a couple of, I think, um, in the previous episode, I spoke about her. She recently passed from Alzheimer's and the whole controversy that was around that situation while she was still alive, the decisions that her husband made when it came to his own dating life. So just take a listen. Uh, let me know what you think. And as always, thank you for your interest and support. All right, you guys, I'll talk to you soon. It was strictly as a catharsis for me. I mean, I was eight and a half years of, uh, of stress. And it took, I guess I picked up, uh, and I'm not a writer, so, you know, I, I, I needed help. But I picked up and started writing about, I don't know, six months after my wife passed away and I put the tablet down and I pick it up a while later and I kept putting it down and picking it up. And the more I got into it, the more I thought, you know, this is going to be hopefully helpful to other caretakers mm-hmm. uh, to see what my background was and what made me do what I did and how I did it and all that stuff. And so it became not only a catharsis for me, but an opportunity to try and help other people. Who yeah, made and I think the that... Same thing. Yeah, the timing is, you know, it's pretty interesting to me because in this day and age, I think there should be, if there's not already, a lot more emphasis on the the caregiver, whether you're caring for a spouse or a lot of us, you know, caring for our parents or if we have a special no, child. I, I agree with you because that's the one that takes the brunt of it, um, particularly at a certain point in time when the patient or the loved one is physically there, but that's it. You know, right. And there's a, it's an existence. It's not a life. Right. Exactly. And yet your life has to go on taking care of it as if that person was 
was having on life. Yes. And uh, it, it took, um, I could do anything and everything I needed to do by just concentrating and focusing on what I needed to do, put one, one step in front of the other. Mm-hmm. But, but the surprise, the biggest surprise to me, the toll it took on me physically, emotionally, psychologically. I mean, I was, I was absolutely a mess. Of course. Uh, more so than I ever realized I was. Mm. And thank God my kids had that lunch date with me. And because um, I have a very close relationship with my kids. That's and, awesome. And, as, as my wife did. Mm. Very, very close. Okay. And they kind of said, Dad, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I said, the rest of my life? I said, I'm cooking, cleaning, taking care of mom, showering her in the morning, getting her dressed. You know, I, what do you mean the rest of my life? I don't even thought about it. He said, no, you really need to think about it because, you know, you're young, acting and looking, and you have a long life ahead of you. And I, I looked at him and I said, <laughs> I said, are you giving me permission to have an affair? Is that what this is all about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally in those words. And mm-hmm. they said, no, no, not really. They're just uh, We would just want you to know that whatever choice you make, there's no judgment on our part. Okay. And this is the most loving thing they could have done. Right, so very supportive. I didn't kind of focus on it for a while, but looking back on it, I, I can't think of anything else they could have done. Because my wife was really a force. Um, I mean, she had a personality that was big as a house. Once mm-hmm. you met her, you never forgot. And if you looked at the cover, she was a beautiful woman. Yes. And um, to this day, uh, when I even, I was looking through the book as I was looking to answer some of the questions, I started to cry just reading the book. Again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it never leaves you. And I've told people that I've run into and met who have had people that taking care of the loved ones and stuff. And I said, you know, it, you never forget. It never goes away. It just gets easier with time. Yes. And I said, that's what you've got to focus on. Um, Absolutely. The emotional breaking point, I guess, uh, when I was writing it was reliving the eight and a half years. I mean, my sixties, um, or it was a horrible decade for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife got diagnosed when I was 61. I lost my mother, my brother, and my sister all to cancer in those 10 years. My dad had already died of cancer back in 1970. I was 27 years mm-hmm. old. And then, of course, my wife passed away, and I was diagnosed with cancer about a month before my wife's death. Wow. And I was received treatments two weeks after the funeral. And, you know, those things, <laughs> they pile. They sure they, do. They really pile up. And um, in addition to which, my sister, who lived in New York, uh, who was single with a son, uh, moved down here when her cancer reappeared. And she knew her time frame was fairly short because she wanted her son to be near family. And my mother had already passed away. And my brother had already passed away. And, um, and of course, my dad had died many, many years ago. And um, she, and uh, you know, not that I, she asked me if it was okay, but she did show up. Right. And so he became my third son. And you know, I had two kids in, uh, in their thirties, and he was eighteen. Hmm. And um, my sister, as close as we were, we we didn't 
believe in bringing up children the same way. And so even to the point where she would refuse to tell her own son she was dying. Wow. Uh, and I finally said, Randy, if, you know, if, if you're not, I've got to because you're leaving me with this, you know, this weight. Mm-hmm. And so I took him out for a walk, uh, probably about a week, two weeks before she passed away and told him. Wow. So he had no idea. Well, you know, he knew she was very sick. I don't mm-hmm. know if he, if he, you know, used the word terminal in his own mind, mm-hmm. but he knew she was really sick. And mm-hmm. he had, uh, he also had learning difficulties. Um, and I got him into uh, Georgia Southern, which is a nice small school here down in Savannah. And with a lot of work on my part and a lot of dollars spent on tutoring and what have you, I got him his bachelor's degree. Oh, wow. And uh, I don't think my sister ever thought he would get to college, much less get through it. Mm-hmm. I said, I told her, I said, Randy, I ain't going to Harvard and you're not going to Yale. I said, but there's a college for everybody. And he'll be fine. You just got to work with him. Yeah. So, you know, that added to my my grief afterwards. Um, right. And, and what she had, which is frontal temporal dementia, which is a lot different from Alzheimer's, which uh, that Ms. Smith had, mm-hmm. because that primarily affects the memory for a long, long time before it becomes physical and starts to eat away at your body. Mm-hmm. My wife's first uh, frontal temporal dementia, her, her speech went first. That's what brought attention to it, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact. She had a hard time talking, and I'm telling you, she could talk. She was fast as lightning with her mouth. And um, her speech started to go, and I wound up taking her speech class, and that didn't do any good. And I wound up finally getting a, a CAT scan, and our internist thought she may have had a mini stroke, and then uh, wound up getting the diagnosis uh, at 60. Uh, but I didn't have a conversation with my wife for the last seven and a half years. She totally lost the ability to speak wow. for 12 months. So when you had to, uh, when you were putting the story together, you know, you, you just finished talking about the different breaking points. Was it, of course, I can imagine it was tough having to relive, you know, yeah. those different moments. So how did you get through those moments when it came to the writing process? Uh, much like I did, um, I know I cried a lot. But yep. I mean, most of the times what I did is the same thing I did when I was taking care of her. I was just kind of, I focused and I just put one foot in front of the other and I just worked my way through it. Yeah. Um, and as I said, I did it, it probably took me three and a half years in total. You know, mm-hmm. I put it down because I just couldn't do it anymore. And then I'd pick it up and I'd do some more and I'd put it down. And so it took me about three and a half years to do it. At which point I said, you know, if I don't finish this soon, I may not ever get it done. Right. And that's when I kind of focused and actually went and found the editor that helped me with it and okay. then had it published. Okay. Finished it. Yeah. I mean, the picture on, I had a lot to do with the book, not only the writing, which I did, but also I designed the cover, the picture of my wife I actually took um, many years ago. Uh, and it was, I mean, we were married, we were together almost 50 years. Mm-hmm. dating and marriage mm-hmm. and uh 
we had a very, very strong marriage. Um, and it, it was, it was difficult. Although I will tell you this, um, looking back on it, when after she passed away and I would sit down and think about it, I had absolutely no regrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was nothing I didn't do to try and make her life better, uh, provide for her. I had, I had done everything. I, I, it was like, in fact, one of the, the second thought of mine for the title of this book uh, was, if only I could have written a check. Hmm. Um, was the second thought for a title. Um, because, you know, there was, there was nothing. I, I held nothing back. Uh, I, you know, I retired early, not knowing whether I had enough money to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was determined to take care of her. And I was in the real estate business. I had my own firm with a partner. and He bought me out. And I figured I've got push come to show if I can always go back into real estate business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I kept uh, the day I retired. I counted up all my assets. And I said, well, I'll just check a year from today and see how I'm doing. And I had more at the end of the year than I had that day. So I said, this is good. I'm going to, I'll be able to continue. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been retired ever since. Um, and so I did retire at a young age. Um, but it was, you know, sitting there in the doctor's office when he tells you that diagnosis and you know it's a death sentence. Yeah. It's just like getting hit in the stomach with a baseball bat. Mm. Um, uh, and then she, when, when we finally got home, uh, she made me make those three promises. One, not to put her in a facility. Number two, which really led to some problems with friends, was not to tell anybody. Mm. And the third was to promise me I'd take care of the family. Okay. And there were several times, several times during that stretch where I did not think I could keep that first promise. I was emotionally and psychologically and mentally just so drained that I wasn't sure I could do it. But, mm-hmm. and I did it by myself for five and a half years, totally. That's a lot. Yeah, after which I was just totally drained. I, I just had to start bringing in some help just to give me a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. And I still took care of her all weekends, and all, all day Thursday and Thursday night, most evenings, uh, most weekends. Um, but I found some incredible human beings, lucky that I was, uh, who I found uh, mm-hmm. to help me. Um, and they probably helped to save my life because I don't know that I, I really don't know whether I would have done it. Did you did you find like a lot of um, similarities, you know, um, with your story and with the Beef Smith story, you know, with her the last few years of her life? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of lot of the same issues, the same feelings. Uh, apparently, I didn't. I only watched two of those YouTube things, but yeah, heard that the 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 lady that he started that Mr. Smith started dating was in in her life also yes um and that was also there was a a series that was done by 60 minutes mm-hmm. uh i don't know if you saw it or not but there's a series done in 60 minutes which followed another woman over about an eight and a half year period 
um, mm. with much the same kind of thing. And he also brought this lady into their home. Uh, I, I didn't do that. I, okay. I, that, that, I couldn't have. Even I, yeah. That. <laughs> That's what got a lot of people talking. The fact that yeah. he, you know, he brought the woman into the house while the wife yeah. was still I, I, I couldn't do that. I had enough aggravation and trouble with my friends and associates with just the fact that I decided I was going to date. Yeah. Um, but my personality is such that I really don't care what anybody else thinks. You mm-hmm. know, if it's okay with me and it's okay with my kids. I, you know, that's all that matters. To me. Mm-hmm. And um, it took me after I had that lunch with my two sons about six months for me to get okay with it. Okay. With the idea. I didn't jump into it at all. And then... I used to start saying, gosh, I don't even know if I could talk to another woman. You know, we had been together since we were, uh, I was a sophomore, she was a freshman in college. Wow. That's a lot of years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, after a while, I don't know if you're married or not, but um, after a while, you kind of know the answer to the question you're already asking. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know what's going to come out of her mouth. Yes. And I, I just didn't know. And so what I did, strangely enough, um, I looked up two uh, old girlfriends, one from high school that I had not seen since high school, that I was madly in love with as a high schooler. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I was younger than, older than she was when I left. And I heard she had gotten married and, then I heard she'd gotten divorced. I had no idea. You know, when a woman gets married and the name changed, it's difficult to find them. Yes. As it turns out, there was a, uh, another couple that lives here in Atlanta from my hometown. Uh, her, the lady had lost her father, and I went over to make the condolence call. And there was a bunch of people from my hometown there, most of which I didn't know. But got to talking about reunions and things. Mm-hmm. And it dawned on me that this girl was in the class with the husband of this couple. And I said, God, was uh, Leslie Vogel at your reunion? He says, I really don't know, but let me get you the book. You know, at reunions, they have they hand out these books with everybody that attends, mm-hmm. with names and addresses and what have And so I opened the book, and there it was. And all of a sudden, I knew her last, you know, her maiden married name and where she lived and the phone number and the entire thing. And uh, it took me a while to get up the nerve to call her, uh, but I did. And um, there was a, as it turns out she, she had divorced. She never had children, which surprised me very much. Mm-hmm. And she was living by herself in Seattle, Washington. And uh, so, we, you know, I called her and I, she answered the phone and I said, Leslie, she said, yeah, I said, this is Bob Fishback. And there was a long, long pause. I don't know how long it lasted. It seemed like days. Hmm. And I said, Leslie, you do remember, don't you? She said, yes, yes. Just let me get my thoughts together. And <laughs> we wound up stri- you know, striking up a phone conversation, friendship again. And I casually said one time that I was going to, I'll, I'll surprise you one day. I'll come out. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the first time I ever left my wife uh, was to fly to California for a very, very close friend of mine from fourth grade, who's still a very, very close. Mm-hmm. 
uh, his wife's, I think it was the 65th wedding anniversary, her 65th birthday and maybe their 45th wedding anniversary. They were combining it. And I really would not have gone mm-hmm. normally, but it was a place to go and I, I needed to get away so bad. Right. And so I hopped on a plane and went to, he lives in San Diego, California. And um, so I hopped on a plane and went there and I was never so miserable in my entire life. Wow. So why, why are you miserable? Because mm-hmm. I was, a, I was the first time I, for 50 years, I almost 50 yeah. years, I did by myself. Yeah. And I knew everybody there. It wasn't like I felt like I was a stranger. I mean, mm-hmm. my brother was there and some of uh, old friends were there and, you know, his daughter, his wedding, my wife and I had gone to, you know, I knew a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, the next morning I got up and I was supposed to go over to his house and I called and said, uh, Jeff, I'm not coming. And I went to the airport and idiot me, I never even called. I hopped on a plane to Seattle, Washington. And I rented a car and as I was driving out of the airport, I called her up and she, I said, Leslie, are you home? She said, yeah. I said, are you going to put me up or are you going to put me up in the hotel? She said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I told you I was going to surprise you one day. And Got a rental car. I'm heading your way. Well, it was it was. Uh, she turned, put me up in a hotel, mm-hmm. and um, it was like no time had ever passed. It was mm-hmm. really unbelievable. Uh, and in fact, um, we were in a restaurant. We actually were in the. I forget. There's a marketplace downtown in Seattle. We were wandering around a fish market or something. It's called. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went in for coffee or lunch. I can't remember what. And we were talking and laughing and yakking. And this woman behind me, for some reason, spoke up and said, excuse me, how long have you two been married? Oh. <laughs> I said, married? I said, prior to yesterday, I hadn't seen this woman in 48 years. Wow. I, said, I don't believe it. I said, well, I don't care what you believe. It. <laughs> but it's true. And, but... Uh, by the time I left, I, I knew there was nothing long-term there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as wonderful a three days as it was, she had she was into crystals and cats and all this <laughs> okay. stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I continued a friendship with her after I got back. We still talk on the phone occasionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other woman I I looked up when I went to New York, it was a lady that I uh, dated just prior to dating my wife, starting to date my wife. And she happens to be the first cousin of a friend of mine here. So I knew that her husband had died uh, six or nine months prior to that. Mm-hmm. And um, so the friend here called me and said, oh, uh, she's coming down to visit. Would she want to know whether you want to have a cup of coffee? And she called to give me my condolences also. Yes. And she had known my sister because she went to University of Cincinnati also, where I went. And, um, and my sister went there, too, for a year or two. And um, I said, yeah, I'd love to have coffee with her. Sure, right? For some reason, I don't know where, what happened, but we didn't get together when she was here. But I went up to New York at one point, and I called her, and I said, hey, how would you like to come into the city and have dinner? And she said, I'd love to. And so we had a very, very nice, you know, and I did it with she and also the lady from uh, Seattle because we had a history. Right. Felt it would be easier to 
converse. Mm -hmm. Things to talk about and people to talk about, names and places and times and all that stuff. So I thought, you know, it would be easier. Um, And so that also I knew was not going to go anywhere. But, um, you know, it was 50 years ago. No, well, yeah, 50 years ago. And, um, but we had a very nice evening and had a nice dinner. It was very nice to see her again. And so I decided that, shoot, I still got it. I can do this. And okay. um, that's when I started. Uh, I went, actually, when I was somebody that was recommended to me. And then I went on J-Date, which is a, a Jewish dating uh, site. Mm-hmm. And met and went out with several ladies. Um, and there's some very, very weird women out there. I'm sure <laughs> just as many well, weird men. Not, right. Not pointing. <laughs> both ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some very wacko ladies out there. <laughs> but um, and anybody I, I talked to, um, I would always say to them, uh, I, you pick a place, I'll meet you there. Some place where you're comfortable. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out, you got your car, you're out of there, and no harm, no foul. Right. And but the only the first thing I always said to them was, sit down, I have a story to tell you. Because, you know, as big as Atlanta is, well back then it was a hell of a lot smaller, but mm-hmm. um, you know, stories get around. I'd rather somebody hear from me than somebody hear from somebody else. Right. And, you know, date somebody and then they find out that your wife is still alive, that I it's no way to make friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I would do is sit down and talk to them and tell them what the deal was. So what and were the different reactions you would get when you would tell them the story? Some women got up and left. Wow. They, they were not interested. And I said, I understand perfectly. No problem. Mm-hmm. Picked up a t- ticket and they left. And that was the last time I saw them. Okay. Um, some of them didn't. Uh, and some of them were, were very nice and hesitant uh there was really nobody that i had dated that i had any real interest in except for one woman who i was interested in but she had had a a real rough marriage to remarried i think she'd been married twice and both of the guys turned out to be real idiots and i just don't think she was uh mentally ready to be with a a man again on a full-time basis so we went on and um and then michelle emailed me and uh you know on dating sites you have, you fill out a uh survey or a you know information sheet on you and your background and it came to whether i was married divorced or widowed and I had, I didn't fit into any of the three categories. Right, right. So I didn't answer that question. And um, I looked at Michelle's information when she, she emailed me. And I looked at it and I said, I, I can't even imagine. What am I going to talk to this woman about? Mm-hmm. She's, she, was, she was born the year I graduated high school. She's 18 years younger than I am. Oh, wow. 18 years. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, we're from different eras. And and so I ignored the uh, request to speak. And she did it a second time, a third time, and finally a fourth time. And the fourth time I said, okay, you know, I gave the same deal. Where would you like to go? She said, oh, no, you can pick me up outside my place. 
which immediately said to me, she had already checked and she knew I wasn't checked around town with people that knew me and Mm -hmm. I was not a serial rapist. Right, right. So um, she hopped in the car and she was, we had a lovely evening. Oh, and I sat down and told her the story when I got to the restaurant. Yeah. And she looked at me, she says, you know, I've heard a lot of stories from men, but I've never heard anything like that. Right. And, uh, but she had no issue with it. She, she was okay with it. And um, so, and we had a great time. We went on again and again and again. And one thing led to another. And uh, we're now married uh, over three and a half years. Nice. So let let me ask you, um, with the different dating experiences you had, especially, you know, those first few times, of course, that's going to be awkward. But when did the guilt stop altogether as far as starting over with your life? Probably not till I was uh, more serious with Michelle. Okay. Yeah, which was probably uh, a year, year and a half after I started dating her. Mm. Which was at that time. It was by the time, by that time, Janie had passed away, mm-hmm. and um, it was uh, my wife passed away on Halloween of 2012. Okay. Because I always referred to her as a good witch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, was, she picked Halloween to die on, and. Um, it was after she passed away and after we had become serious and everything. In fact, I, a funny story, because um, I, ne- I never was, I wouldn't say I'm a religious person by any stretch, mm-hmm. but, um, and I always wanted to believe in the hereafter, but never really did. And I was at the cemetery one day visiting my wife, which I still go to probably twice a month. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I went there and I was like, I, I, kidding me, I always tell everybody I go there to find out what I did wrong that week and get my orders for the next week. And uh, I said to her, you know, I'm dating this woman and it's getting serious and I'd really like a sign from you that you're okay with it. Mm-hmm. And it went on and we left. And the next day, the very next day, um, my phone rang and you know, on, on my cell phone rang. You know, on every cell phone, there's that flashing light for people who are deaf. Are you aware of that? Yes. Yes. Because um, they can't obviously hear the ring. Uh-huh. And my phone starts flashing. And every time it flashed, every time the phone rang, it flashed. And I went into, and I'm not a, a highly IT person, but mm-hmm. I went into the uh, phone and I, it wasn't turned on. And uh, I talked to my son. I said, you're not going to believe this. And I told him, so I said, oh, dad, you know what you're doing. You, you must have done something. I'll come over <laughs> and phone. I said, okay, come on over. And um, uh, I said, okay, call me. And he stood there and called me. And he saw my phone lighting up. I said, here's some more things. Go see what you find. And he, he couldn't find It was not turned on. Really? Yes, it was not turned on, and it flashed like that for two and a half weeks, and then stopped, mysteriously just stopped. So what do you think that meant? I guess it was a sign that, I hope it was a sign she was okay with it. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I don't know, but there's been a few instances of strange occurrences that Mm -hmm. have led me to believe, and I hope that there was a hereafter. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll meet again one day at a to this day, which is 50, 
Right. And your story is very dynamic. It's not just, you know, the death of your your wife, but you experience loss in other areas of your life too. And it all kinds of kind of ties together. Um, and you've, you know, from what you're saying, you've just persevered through each situation. So if you were trying to encourage someone who may be going through similar things as you did, um, as far as, you know, resiliency goes, what would you tell them about resilience? Resiliency. Um, the ability to kind of get through stuff and come mm-hmm. back uh, or rebound. Yeah, um, come back, try to come back in one piece. It took many years before I realized how downward a trend I, was, I had been on. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably if not for my kids and at lunch, I probably would have never bounced back. Yeah. But as a result of them, and once I started dating and started to enjoy life at a certain level again and be able to go out and and be with people and meet people and go to dinner and something I hadn't done in like, you know, almost nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it became easier. I would tell somebody, as I, as I have in the book, that from care, from caretaker's point of view, um, everybody's going to have a lot of decisions to make. Yeah. Um, and I would advise somebody to understand what they are and to make decisions that are best for him or her and not to let friends and or family, uh, other maybe uh, direct family, influence them in any way. Mm. And to make decisions that is going to be best for them. There's no right and wrong decision. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that I could have put, if I put Janie in a, in a facility, at some point in time, she would have known where she was anyway. Now, that could have been a smarter move than doing what I did, but everybody has to do what's best for them. Right. And uh, they shouldn't let other people influence them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's their decisions. Um, I just had a fairly close friend who passed away about a month and a half ago. And I was, it's strangely how you wind up being kind of a mentor to other people. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are two women who were, who were friends as couples for many, many years. And in both cases, the man died. And I kind of coached the women through what they had to do, what decisions they, you know, just made them aware of what was coming up, what they should be looking for, not telling them what the decision is that they make, but just making them aware of the fact that there was decisions to be made. Mm -hmm. Um, In one case, uh, the the most recent one, um, I didn't agree with what she did at all. Strongly disagreed. Mm -hmm. But I would never have said that to her. Right. It was her decision, you know? And she had to do what was right for her, not for me or anybody else that was talking to her. And I'm sure knowing, you know, what I went through with friends and this jointment of friends, uh, uh, 
it was it's difficult it really is yeah um, there, there was a time when i wound up because i kept hearing these things you know uh how could you do that why are you doing that Mm -hmm. You're just disrespecting Janie. You're cheating on her. I've heard all, all sorts of stuff. Mm. And I'd hear whispering when I was places. And, uh, there was one woman that I kind of uh, figured out was the kind of the, uh, the ringleader. And it got to the point where one night I called her up mm -hmm. on the phone and I just read her the riot act. <laughs> And I said, you know, until you walk in my shoes, right. you have no business telling me what to do or telling others what you think I should do. It's none of your damn business. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, sh I had her in tears by the time we got off the phone. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I just, I have, I don't, I, I approach things very directly. Yeah. And I don't beat around the bush too much. And, and if you, uh, I used to say this about my father, and the more the older I get, I think I'm more like him than I think. Mm -hmm. He was a very nice guy, but if you pushed him far enough, and when he got his back against the wall, he'd don't be standing in front. Yeah. And I, to a certain way, I'm, I'm very much the same way. I wound up in a big lawsuit with my ex-partner, who I allowed to buy me out over time and decided after four and a half years, he didn't like the deal anymore. Hmm. And... Uh, and I said, but I got your name on a document. <laughs> you didn't care. Wow. You can either litigate, negotiate, or mediate. I said, I think I'll litigate. And um, I got the top hand, and I threw him out, and I took over, back over the business and brought my son in to run it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, you know, he's, of, the, of all times to try and do something like that to somebody yeah. you know they're down and when you know they're suffering. and so uh, this woman just got me to the point where I said, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to hear any more of it. And uh, the strange thing is we've now become good friends again. Mm, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, she didn't, she took it to heart, but she didn't, I don't think she felt that I really hated her. Yeah. It was, it, it was not her business and she had no business opening her mouth. And, um, it, it seems to me, Bob, that you have another book that you should be writing. <laughs> you know what do they say everybody has one book in them yeah uh man i don't know if i could ever just squeeze another one out <laughs> i don't know uh, in fact jocelyn said you ought to do a workbook of how and where and why you do everything i think that's a good idea because like we said in the beginning you know the the role of the caregiver is is growing more and more you know especially today and I think of work.